Constellation. 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 Welcome to Inner Bloom, a podcast about spirituality and intuitive empowerment where we help each other evolve and ascend through conscious community. I'm Alexa, a healer who utilizes EFT, also known as tapping, to help you process stuck emotions, release limiting beliefs, and reconnect with your inner child. I'm Ambrosia, a psychic medium and Arcturian channel, here to uplift and inspire you to see that you are capable of more than you know. Together, we empower people to live extraordinary lives. We do want to warn you, if you hang out with us long enough, you'll start to believe in yourself and realize that you're capable of anything. Enjoy Enjoy the the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back once again to Inner Bloom Podcast. I'm Alexa. I'm Ambrosia. Hi, everybody. And we are so excited to be joined today by Dr. Chandler Purity, intersectional climate scientist, teacher, mystic, and artist. Hi, Chandler. Welcome to the show. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me, y'all. We are so excited you're here. We've been so pumped about this for like a week since we (laughs) discovered you, which is crazy. (laughs) But um, you are somebody that we came across on TikTok and everybody is really in for a treat today because you have one of like the freshest, most uplifting and informative perspectives about a big topic that I think stresses people out quite a bit. Um, which we'll get into shortly. But first, since this is your first time on the podcast, why don't you share just a little bit more about your background and your story and whatever feels relevant um, about what got you to here? Yeah, absolutely thrilled to. Um, So I am, I live in San Diego now. Nice. Um, I'm from there. What part of San Diego do you live in? I'm in Encinitas. Oh, I grew up in Poway. Yeah, right down the street from each other, yep. See, it's beautiful. It's really great energy out here. Um, But I was raised in the Bible Belt, so Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska. Um, And because of that, my upbringing, well, I guess it's also important to know, uh, I'm biracial, so my mom is white and my dad is black. We grew up mostly around my mom's family, um, grew up on five acres of land, spending the weekends at my grandparents' horse farm. And not for like farming for meat, but for just And uh, I've kind of just always really been into nature. Um, My favorite TV show growing up was The Crocodile Hunter, uh, which is a terrible name for what was actually going on on the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then I uh, I always wanted to be a doctor. Not this kind of doctor, but a medical doctor. Um, and a big reason of that was like lack of representation. And so I just didn't even understand that this could be a field for me. So I ended up going to college in Washington, D.C. at Howard University, a historically black college and university. And I was pre-med when I got there. And then I saw a flyer on the wall that was like, do you want to make $30,000? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't even read anything else. Um And it turns out I had signed up for um, an environmental research program. And so I did four years of ecology and environmental research in undergrad, working with plants 
um, sometimes insects. I got to spend one summer paid chasing uh, butterflies around in Davis, California. What? <laughs> yeah, that was most of my summer. Um, so it's really, <laughs> it's really um, And uh, I didn't really think much of it. You know, this is what I do. It was my job, right? Uh, and so I end up going to UC San Diego to do my PhD in ecology. Um, the dissertation project that I worked on here um, was looking at the effects of climate change. So in Southern California, we're expecting more extremes. So more drought, more heavy rain years, just like more of this up and down than we would usually have. Um, and my question was, what are those, that increase in changes, what is that doing to our native plant communities, particularly when it comes to how they interact with uh, invasive grass species. And the invasive grass species that I was working with was introduced 250 years ago here in California by Spanish missionaries. Uh, just grass seeds stuck to their blankets and nobody's really thinking much of it, right? And then you fast forward 250 years and most of the state is now covered in these grasses, right? Wow. And because of how they are because of how they grow, their chemistry, they're really flammable, like really, really flammable. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it ends up making our fires um, spread faster than they normally would and come more frequently. Um, and so that was kind of my introduction. Oh, and then spoiler alert, it doesn't matter whether <laughs> the weather is at one extreme or another, drought or heavy water, the grasses are thriving, baby. They are thriving. They do not care. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, I did all of that. I got my PhD um, in four years, uh, which I did intentionally because I was having a lot of trouble with the culture of the university coming straight from an HBCU yeah. um, to La Jolla, California. Have you ever been yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, it's about the least welcoming, uh, wealthiest, most beautiful, I must say, <laughs> places <laughs> that you can possibly live. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't really think of myself as someone who was passionate about uh, the environment. I always told my friends that um, it's important to not be passionate about your research because you can never hate something that you never loved. Mm. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I graduated and I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, oh, and along that time, I found Tara. We can talk about that. We can talk about all this spirituality stuff. Uh, and I graduated. I didn't have a plan. I moved to Encinitas. I was invited to teach an environmental justice course. And so I was like, sure, free money. I mean, I worked for it. Um, <laughs> and I started teaching this course. And over the time of teaching this course, while I already had my doctorate in ecology after spending nearly a decade working professionally in the field, this was the first time that I started to see why I should care about climate change too, right? Up mm. until this point, <laughs> no single narrative was speaking to me, right? I remember thinking, there's black men being shot dead in the street, <laughs> yeah. bleeding out. And uh, here all these predominantly white people are talking about 
oh my God, why aren't you recycling your water bottle? And things like that. And mm -hmm. it just couldn't yeah. make any sense to me. Um, and so through teaching this class, I started to learn about the history, um, the connections, and as an ecologist, right, that's the study of the connection of living things. So my brain is looking for connections <laughs> everywhere all the time, right? And I kind of think of it as studying now the ecology of our culture, um, of our society, um, and our environmentalism and our racism are they are intrinsically linked from their birth. Um, and now, unfortunately, I'm super passionate about this. <laughs> um, and it's really important to me that we figure out a way to address climate change. And I believe that the target that we're aiming for isn't the target that we need to be aiming for. Um, and so I want to help communicate to people um, kind of how this started, how it came to be so that we can be more mindful of the solutions that we're coming up with so as to not continue to like mm -hmm. propagate these problems. Um, that was, <laughs> I got real excited. Oh, no, that was good. That was good. I, I want to hear more. I'm actually on the edge of my seat. Like, okay, how? Yeah. What's, what's yeah. the next part? And I, I'm excited about and it. And I also just want to say, like, I'm so glad to come across someone like you who is not only thinking differently, but communicating in an effective way, like how we can all think differently because the narrative around, even though I've fallen into it before, you know, I've definitely fallen into it. Like, guys, we all need to do something here. Right. But like, it's never, it's always felt so confusing to me because- I've just been like, but how are we ever going to do something? Like, how is this ever in the way that we've been told we have to do stuff? Right. And so um, I just know probably a lot of our community feels the same way. And in fact, um, just going really woo-woo for a second. So Ambrosia here channels. And um, we have like channeling events and people ask. She works with um, the Arcturians. That's who she channels. And I don't know if you know about that, but it doesn't matter. The point is... People, people will ask, like, what can we do about the planet? What can we do? Mm -hmm. And their answer is always so confusing to us to humans because it's like you don't need – it's not your job to save her in the way that you think it is. Right. And I think for us, when we're being bombarded with these messages constantly of like, you need to recycle and you need to do this and we're all going to be dead and blah, 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 blah. That is so hard to process. So mm -hmm. that being said, Chandler, please yes. take it away and share your perspective of what's going on with climate change. I also want to say really fast, Chandler, that the yeah. way that you and I'm not I'm going to like I'm not going to spoil it because I don't want to, but yeah. the way the analogies that you come up with on what's going on and the solution behind it as well, it, it feels um, more tangible rather than like other people I've heard of where it feels really overwhelming and like, well, I'm just one person. What's the point? Right. Right. Now I'll leave yeah. it. Go ahead. Continue on. Woo. Well, where to start? Um, I want to get into the history and everything, and I want to give the dog analogy, but I I think that it's so important that we start with ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And 
not even necessarily with our actions. Um, so for one, we are nature, okay? So we're not out here trying to save the planet. We're trying to save ourselves. And one perspective is the planet is doing a great job of saving herself by killing us off, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and so this idea that we she has to be saved is um, just a little bit, it's just a little bit problematic. And um, I really, as like a spiritual person, the thing that we have the most control over is ourselves, right? And so um, one thing that was really interesting to me looking at this issue is like, we're so worried about the pandas. We're so worried about polar bears, save the bees, which all of these, I'm very serious. We need to do these things. Yeah. Um, but we don't often show that same concern for like our neighbor, yeah, right? Exactly. Like yeah. we live in a community where, in a country where we will step over people who are struggling with like houselessness. Mm -hmm. um, and I live in Encinitas where I've seen people get out of the car on a busy highway to try to get a stray dog. Yeah. Um, and it's not that the way that we relate to our pets is wrong. It's that that kind of unconditional love that we, give them and especially, I mean, they don't pay any bills. They don't do anything. They don't yeah. do anything. <laughs> so we're pleased to support them. We just want to see them enjoy life. And it's really interesting because I think that our interactions with others are a reflection of how we feel about ourselves, right? Mm. Um, and the way that we treat other people is a reflection of like a lack of self-love for ourselves, right? Um, so we're we're missing that that connection to each other. Um, yeah. That's thought. a beautiful quote. Like, <laughs> if we could digest that for a second, yeah, yeah. that's that's really beautiful. Yeah, that yeah. we are nature too, and that we're trying to save ourselves rather than save the planet. I think that's really absolutely, yeah. Feels a lot uh, more doable. It does. You know what I mean. Uh, and so this is where I'm going to slip in capitalism a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, and under this, I, I hate capitalism. <laughs> okay. I have my PhD and my goal has always been an MRS degree. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. What better gift than freedom from capitalism yep. is there to get one? Um, anyways, what capitalism tells us is that we are not worthy of life. We have mm -hmm. to earn the right to be alive, right? Mm -hmm. We have to earn the right for food, the right for water, the right for shelter. And that's telling ourselves that we're not worthy as we are, right? Um, and because we have accepted that truth, when we see people struggling, we think that's your problem, right? Um, and when it comes to kind of this intersectionality with race and socioeconomic status, um, I always think, <laughs> you know, I always think what if when the very first child of color in a community that was heavily polluted, what if as soon as we found out that one child of color had asthma from those conditions, our entire society was like, shut it down. We need to figure out something else. Mm -hmm. yeah. What if? Right. Yeah. And currently now with um, electric cars and everything, um, we are uh, mining. Well, we mostly have beef with Elon Musk. Um, I, we're, I, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> I do too. And we I are mining these anyway. resources in communities of color in the global south, right? In Chile, in um, mm -hmm. Congo, in Africa, there is um, intentional disruption coups going on with the governments um, in order to keep this mining going, not even to mention the ecological damage that comes, um, particularly in Chile. It's one of the oldest arid systems in the world and the water source is their only water source for these mountain uh, the people who live in the mountains and it takes like an olympic swimming pool size of water to get enough to extract enough lithium for like a handful of tesla car batteries um, and then, of course, when we're talking about destruction of land, we're also talking about destruction of people, of their culture, of their livelihood, mm -hmm. um, connection to their land. Um, and so uh, I'm just really concerned that these solutions that aren't centering people of color, which are also humans, we have to, <laughs> we really mm -hmm. have to center the experiences yeah. of humans. Um, we are only creating more problems for ourselves down the line. Uh, and so that's why I'm so passionate about this um, and about communicating it in ways that people can understand, because uh, we're very trying to address climate change without addressing the racism, the destruction of land from capitalism. All of these things is like trying to pull your hand out of the jar while you still have the pickle in it. Like right. <laughs> It's just not going to fit. You have to let right. go of the pickle. And it's very much a very small, wealthy few who are in charge of this, right? Um, and now I'm also remembering that the climate conferences, like the Paris um, Climate Agreement, uh, we call them COP conferences, those are funded by the industries that are polluting the most. Um, only scientists um, and professionals are allowed in there. The wealthiest countries can bring the most amount of people and make the biggest impact. The poorest countries can only bring whoever they can afford to bring. And young people, farmers, um, they, they are not allowed into this organization right and like why aren't we talking to farmers that's weird yeah so it's like a just so i'm understanding and just yes. to reiterate so like basically like these big climate conferences are just like um kind of like distractions or like other ways to profit off the system but not help it actually just be like look yeah we're doing something and we have our names attached to this but actually we're just making money off of everyone who thinks that there's a huge problem here and yeah. is scared absolutely <laughs> have you seen don't look up yes I've, oh yeah i have thoughts i have thoughts about that Okay. What are, it makes this is like what are your thoughts i'm curious i'm smiling but like this yeah. is terrifying actually yeah okay continue on sorry I'm so just... what's terrifying exactly ambrosia the the idea that like i guess um it's not shocking to me that corporations are so greedy that they yeah. truly don't care about other human beings that they right. want their money that yeah. is not a shock to me i think what what is terrifying is that parts of the world are are losing their resources mm -hmm. so that other parts of the world can have nicer things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, that's what's happening. Um, and, uh, oh, now I'm going to talk about eugenics. Uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> so, <laughs> 
um, I started looking into, right, the history of environmentalism, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the first one person I ever think of is Teddy Roosevelt um, from Night at the Museum too, or like whichever Night at the Museum yeah. movie he is. And he's like mm -hmm. on the horse. And like, that's my connection to what, like that was my my jumping off point. Um, and uh, I, well, now I'm getting a little bit upset. I mean, just the idea we have this idea that because we are separate from nature, that our presence in nature is negative. And so with the creation of the national parks and the removal of the indigenous people and the removal of people from the ecosystem in general and just allowing visitors, which by the way, is not very accessible to a lot mm. of low income people. Yeah. Um, the message that it sends, right, is this idea of like untouched nature um, and uh, this land has always been stewarded by indigenous people. It has never been untouched. Um, actually the removal of the majority of indigenous people um, caused so much new growth on the land that, uh, and in colonial places around the world, um, the removal of indigenous people actually caused the globe to cool. Right. That's crazy. So, uh, there's like a really important role that we should play in interacting with nature. But the way that Teddy Roosevelt was thinking about it is like, it needs to be separate. We need to keep it safe. And so I look into things a little bit more. He was hanging out with John Muir of Muir Woods here in Northern California, as well as Madison Grant. Madison Grant is the one I have the most beef with. Um, ooh, I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so Madison Grant, he is the father of conservation uh, and wildlife management. Okay. Now, he, his book on conservation is also a book on eugenics. Okay. So uh, the way that Madison Grant thinks about things is using to the best of his ability. His understanding of uh, Darwin's survival of the fittest, that the Nordic people who come from a fairly harsh environment and have survived are more evolutionarily uh, advanced than indigenous people who live amongst like more abundance. Mm -hmm. And that because the Nordic people are the most um, advanced that they will be the last, they'll be the fittest. So they'll be the ones that survive to the end, which mm -hmm. I'm, the logic doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, then it's their job to kind of like go around and find new places that they can um, protect uh, and the removal of indigenous people, almost as if they're doing them a favor by taking, uh, because they're, in the mind of these men, uh, those people are headed for extinction anyways. So we're just accelerating the process and by doing so, making sure that they don't cause more damage to the land. Right. <laughs> um, wow. And so that is like how we think, that is the origin of our um, understanding of environmentalism. Now, Madison Grant, he was also uh, part, no, not part, he led the um, petition to hold uh, an ens uh, enslaved black woman in the in the zoo in New York. Um, when <laughs> this was, I think, like in the twenties. Um, and so then he writes his book, and um, 
it turns out that a young man, a decade or so later, a young man named Adolf Hitler finds a coffee. I know him. <laughs> yeah, yes. some people do, you know. Um, and the only thing that makes 420 a bad holiday is yeah. <laughs> Adolf Hitler's birthday. Um, so he finds this book and he refers to it as his Bible. He carries it with him everywhere. And he used a lot of this same rhetoric in terms of protection of land and mm. um, kind of ownership relationship to land um, in his Holocaust situation. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, my concern is that because that is the way that environmentalism started was protecting it for us and for just us and no one else. Um, some of the things that I hear around climate change, like what about your grandchildren? I'm like, okay, well, how hashtag all grandchildren. <laughs> you know what I mean? mm -hmm. um, and uh, when we are, think we're doing something to protect us, but it's hurting other people um, and literally valuing their lives as less than ours and people are dying from this right and getting really sick from this and so it continues to kind of function as like a form of eugenics mm -hmm. our efforts to save ourselves are very crab in the barrel and like pushing other people down yeah um so yes yeah, sorry and you take a breath <laughs> oh it's okay so well if i can ask you a question to like direct yeah. things so <laughs> okay, so the so that was a really good, interesting background of like, like you said, the history of like where this stuff originates. And so Chandler, you on TikTok, yeah. some of the thing I think one of the reasons that like you also stand out is because you're a climate scientist mm -hmm. and you're saying, despite all of this, mm -hmm. I am extremely optimistic about this situation. Yes. Yeah. So why is that? Ooh, I'm so excited. So first things first, why am I so optimistic? I have, uh, oh, there's a spider. Hey. Oh. I have a, uh, Jupiter is in my first house. So like born this way. Um, <laughs> in terms of being, one of the things that makes me most op optimistic is the opportunity to teach young people. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Oh my God, they are so angry <laughs> and so creative, so passionate. Um, the way that my classes are set up, they're heavily discussion-based. So I'm learning from them, they're learning from me. We're all learning from each other. And then I also have them uh, do a solution-based climate um, project. And so the idea is that they're building a project that is uh, addressing inequality, addressing accessibility, all of these things. And they get to practice that muscle of like, here's the problem, but I can do something about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so some of the fun things like uh, my first quarter teaching, I had a class, uh, a group in my class who did Save the Bees stickers. Oh, um, cute. <laughs> and they designed these stickers and they made an Instagram page and they went um, all around campus educating people and they set up like a panel um, about the importance of bees. I had a group of students just this past year who um, did a clothing drive, like a secondhand clothing drive. Um, and all of the clothing that uh, they were collecting was being donated to an orphanage. 
um, in South America. And then the clothing that wasn't like up to par to be donated to the orphanage, they took it, cut it into scraps and made bow ties for dogs at shelters to help them get adopted. Can you imagine? Yeah. You know what I'm, and it's like, it's fun for them. Right. And these things, they can be fun. They can be, you know, little, they can be, but like finding these connections, as soon as they understand how to structure the, you know, their solution and understand the problem that they're facing from multiple facets, the things they come up with blows me away. Right. Um, So the students are in Incredible. Uh, and then I'm also a huge fan of TikTok. Um, I stayed off it for a very long time because I'm stubborn and I like to be an individual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I went to uh, back to teaching after the pandemic, right? Which is when everybody got real into TikTok. Yeah. Uh, and everything that I had taught my students pre-pandemic, like however many years ago, um, like they were like environmental justice, what? Like, wait, pollution in communities of color, what? Yeah. As soon as they stepped through the door, a whole new batch of students, first years, a lot of them, uh, after the pandemic, they knew all of that stuff. And they wanted to talk about um, like why groceries are so expensive on uh, indigenous like reservations and like all of these types of things. Um, and so uh, education is so powerful and TikTok, while there's some ridiculous shit on there, um, the ability for people to share their story and to learn and internalize, right? Like a lot of people just learn better through storytelling, Mm -hmm. which is oral tradition, which is how information has been passed down for millennia, um, kind of before the rise of the Western world and writing. Um, So certainly seeing that... You know, that kind of pass it on effect. Um, I also hear from my students that they go home and talk about the content with their families. Um, and so that, you know, things are uh, permeating in that direction. Um, and then what else makes me um, optimistic about climate change? So let me tell you this, girl. Um, <laughs> As we are in nature, right? And everything that happens here is part of nature, we are also constrained by ecological principles, okay? Um, And so capitalism, especially the way like this free form post Reagan, I think capitalism, um, it is based on an exponential, like it has to grow forever. It has to grow forever, right? Or it doesn't work. Um, And nothing can grow forever. (laughs) Nothing can grow forever. And we're starting to see the signs of the slowing of this growth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Netflix and um, yeah. Facebook, I think, they both reported losses for the first time in like yeah. a decade because they can't, they've spread to the whole world and they can't spread anymore. Um, all of this rising inequality, it's bringing our attention to the real um problems at hand. And so anyone who was riled up by the George Floyd issue and is now fighting for social justice, they're contributing to climate justice, right? Anyone who is um, fired up about anti-capitalism, anti-work, right? They're fighting for climate change. Our work schedules, I mean, the only time when you look at the, um, our carbon dioxide charts, the only time you see significant dips are during um, economic recessions 
and during the pandemic. And so it's like, well, if the climate does good when money does bad, um, <laughs> yes. but it's bringing our attention to all of these issues. Uh, and so there's not one way to fight climate change. I think that's my problem with focusing on carbon dioxide is we need to be hitting it on all cylinders, right? Artists are doing stuff for climate change, farmers, um, people who are learning how to grow their own herb gardens. Um, and then with the capitalist thing, like, wouldn't it be cool if we all worked less and then we had more time to actually like grow our own food and like our mental health was better and- And then like, yeah. we didn't have to like drive in our cars for like no reason. No reason. <laughs> like, and the what I'm hearing from you, like yeah. overall, is this feeling of like, and this is why it ties into this podcast and yeah. what we talk about so well, is because what Ambrosia and I are really passionate about is teaching people how to listen and follow their intuition, mm -hmm. how to trust what they're being called to and not second guess themselves on that. Yeah. And what I'm like seeing in my mind's eye is like, if everyone could just do that more and just go to what they're being called to, it's all being orchestrated. Like it's all happening yes. and it's all going to the right place. And yeah. I think that's, if we're to pull back, it almost seems like that's more of the issue of so many people stuck in this old mindset that doesn't really make sense for their happiness no. or health or anything. No. No, diversity is a sign of a healthy ecosystem. Mm. And our society demands conformity and assimilation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's just not diversity, right? Yeah. Um, and I love like the internet, YouTube, TikTok. I love seeing people who are striking out as artists, striking out as healers, intuitive, this kind of thing. And it's happening in a huge wave, right? The yeah. change is here. And don't even get me started on these kids. Like I talk to 18 year olds. Whenever I talk to younger kids, yeah, they are a different breed. They came from a different <laughs> time. Like they, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Um, and, uh, you know, like listening to our children, learning from our children, um, of course, doing our part uh, to help give them a good jumping off point. Um, but it, yeah, it absolutely all starts with following your heart, right? And even me, I've always felt, um, like, I don't know, I love freedom. Uh, but like I said, I love art. I love, um, intuition. I did tarot card reading professionally. I'm taking a little break right now. Um, science and then like social justice. And for me, I, for years, I thought I had to pick a lane. And it just was crushing my soul, right? And here I am now um, living in that intersection and getting to connect with people who also live here. Talking to you makes me optimistic about climate change. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's so many wonderful things that are happening. Um, and unfortunately, some of the most wonderful things are happening uh, in places where people don't have as loud of a voice, right? Oh. The people who have the loudest voices aren't seeing that. Yeah. And so it's kind of skewing um, this thing. Because again, all of those CO2 predictions, they do not factor in humans mm -hmm. <laughs> and our ability to change and to work with the planet right. um, and our hope and like 
they don't represent, we created the problem and they're trying to fix it by going around us without yeah. having us having to change our lifestyles. Um, Can you speak a little, touch on your amazing analogy of the, yeah. the three-headed dog? Yes, yes, yes. So I'm a Harry Potter fan, um, big Harry Potter fan, um, less of a JK Rowling fan these days. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> that took a left turn, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's an analogy that I've been using in my classes for a while. And so in Harry Potter, in the first book, um, it's all about getting the Sorcerer's Stone, uh, which is this magic object that they need to find. And it's hidden in the castle, and it's in a secret room guarded by a massive three-headed dog. Um, and yeah, he's just absolutely huge, right? And so in this analogy, um, we are standing outside the room as like a society and we're kind of plotting, like how are we gonna get to the Sorcerer's Stone? The Sorcerer's Stone in this analogy is representing the solution to climate change, or at least, you know, yes, no, the solution to climate change, figuring it out. So uh, one head of this three-headed dog is uh, white supremacy. Um, and so we talked a little bit about that with the eugenics, um, and just kind of this idea that um, people are inherently better and how that has destroyed um, peoples of color and the environment. Uh, the second head is um, colonialism, which is how uh, the grasses in my dissertation got to California uh, and how almost all of our invasive plants were introduced um, through these processes. And the last head, oh, this is embarrassing. What's the last head? Oh, capitalism. capitalism. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Capitalism, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so with capitalism, of course, the only way that we can create um, money and wealth is through taking from land and through taking labor from people. So kind of the abuse of land and of people. So this is the three-headed dog. Someone commented that the body is the patriarchy, which I would agree. Patriarchy yeah. is, it kind of branches into all of those things. And so we have this dog, right? And the um, fart of the dog is climate change, uh, is carbon dioxide, right? And so carbon dioxide is a byproduct of um, the industrial revolution from capitalism. It's a byproduct of, um, you know, the, our treatment of peoples of color, it's a byproduct of all of these cultures, right? And so scientists without an intersectional lens or prism, as I heard it called, uh, they look in the room and we've sent lots of people in the room, nobody can get under the door and they're like, it's because it smells like farts in here, guys. We got, we have to make the farts go away. We, yeah. we I don't know what we need to do, like suck it out of the room, something. Yeah. We have to make them go away. And for me, as an intersectional climate scientist, it's, it's like, why don't we think about how to get rid of the dog, right? In Harry Potter, they play it some nice music and put it to sleep yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. sneak around it. Um, but this idea that just, getting rid of the byproduct of the thing that's causing all this harm will do any good yeah. uh, instead of focusing on, uh, it's very much focusing on the symptom and not the cause. Totally. Yeah. I mean, would you say that, because to me, and I am not a scientist and I have no background in this, but <laughs> yeah. do you think that this is a way 
of certain people distracting the rest of us saying, Oh, look at, look at the fart, look at the fart, pay attention to that. Don't look at the dog. I, because I'm such an optimist, um, (laughs) I truly believe that it's unintentional, right? And so we think about whiteness, we think about white culture, we think about racism and right. And unless you're actively being anti-racist, like you're likely being like, it's something that you have to actively be aware of. And, uh, Scientists are some of the least aware, least yeah. socially um, connected people, right? A lot of them have spent their whole lives like in a lab and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and they truly believe that science is like almost infallible, right? And that it's, um, what it tells us is definitely gonna be true. Science is an art, it's a practice. Um, you think one thing is how it works and you find out later down the line, it doesn't and that's fine. We're just like, playing around in the unknown. But um, scientists these days, like they take things very seriously and it's very black or white. And they believe that they're objective. (laughs) They believe that they're, how can you, they believe that they're objective. By the way, also, uh, it's very, yeah, uh, objectivity in academia. I could go on that all day. I don't believe it exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but because they think that what they're doing is objective, they don't think that they have to think about how the way they were raised, how their culture plays into the way that they're interpreting the data, right? The data itself, not good. The way mm-hmm. that they interpret it, uh, data like I'm not gonna argue with you about numbers, but the discussion section of a scientific paper is someone's opinion. I mean, it's really their ideas coming together. And so because all of these people have a lens that excludes um, kind of this way of thought and they're not even paying attention to the fact that they have the, they could potentially be biased, what's coming out is extremely biased, right? Right. Uh, And so I do not think it's their fault. Um, I've talked to a lot of scientists and they are, when you're really smart in one area, um, pretty much every other area takes a hit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And they don't talk to people, right? Uh, They're not um, engaging with their communities. Um, They're not even talking to their students because that's not how you would run a traditional classroom. Um, They're not talking to people. They're just not talking to anyone about what they might be doing. They're just looking at the numbers. Um, And so, yeah, I don't think it's intentional, but that doesn't make it any less harmful, right? Intent impact. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting because it's like ignorance from people Mm -hmm. who are like the opposite of what you would define as ignorant. (laughs) Like they're, they're supposed to be the most intelligent, but intelligence itself, I think, is like subjective, right? It really depends what you're asking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that is such a a really powerful analogy and a really good image of I think what's going on in so many aspects of our world, right? Like we're constantly being told for whatever reason and like I, I'm I'm sure it is largely ignorance. Yes. Look over here. Look over what what are we gonna yeah. do about this thing? And we're not like thinking, well, even if we figure that out, it's still going to keep happening. So yep. like, why aren't we looking deeper? Like, why aren't we yep. asking the, the questions about getting to the root? Yes. And that's what you're talking about. And, 
And honestly, this is the first, this past year is the first time that you're the you're the first person I've heard put it in such a, an easy to digest way, but I've definitely heard this come up a couple more times in the past okay. six months or so. But that's the first time I've ever heard that concept of like climate change, for example, being related to capitalism, colonialism, and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And it it's still it's not it's not necessarily like oh cool all we have to solve is the, those three things great but yes. it is more le- to your point about like racism right it's really yeah. about becoming very aware and active about your your unconscious racism yeah. and the awareness and the and intention put into that will help and will exactly. start to make change so it's yep. the same with all of these other factors, right? Yep. That's exactly it. Just just the awareness, just the education. And you know, I tell everyone it's works spiritually, it works for as soon as you notice something, you're gonna st- it's gonna start getting better. As soon as you notice it. Things just get a lot worse when we're not paying any attention to it. Yeah. And that's all that it is. And for me also with the ignorance, like on my sweet little Pisces moon heart, it's easier for me to pity people for not knowing better than to be angry at them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And we more patient. (laughs) Wait, what did you say? To be more patient with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 What would you say to someone listening right now who, and I think we kind of just went over this, but what would you say to someone listening right now who feels very passionate about helping to make change yeah what would you tell them to do like what would you tell them to focus on what would you tell them to pay attention to yes um uh, first things first uh i just have to go off about composting really quick oh yeah go for it (laughs) um i am not good at recycling i'm not good at like i'm not that person who's like you need to be a perfect environmentalist like don't have anything made of plastic of course there's like chemical issues and stuff with that sometimes, but really um, it's important that you take care of yourself, put yourself first so that you have the energy to be part of this fight. And so to not get down on yourself for little things that you do that aren't quote unquote, what they've told you are environmentally friendly, right? Mm -hmm. And so the biggest one for me that I'm able to do somewhat when I can is composting. Uh, And you can use, um, I have a ton of houseplants at my other place, I use scraps from the yard, um, any of your fruits and vegetables, like the ends and things, just throw it in there. And it's literally gold, right? So when plants grow, they're taking nutrients out of the soil. They have sun, they have water, they're taking nutrients, and that's what we get with our food. And when we throw our food away, because we don't have, at least even in California, like we don't have, well, in some cities they do. And we don't have really good like city composting programs. Mm -hmm. And so we throw away our compostable food with our non-compostable materials and all of that rich soil nutrients gets lost. It gets trapped up uh, in these plastics and things. Right. And then there's issues with like the ground sinking. Um, But it's really just that like, and I think that also connects with like loving um, like plants and nature and your food and really connecting with it. Like, 
I'm so grateful for everything that you've done. And like, I want to keep you around. Like I want to keep mm. this energy um, in my system, in my community, in my life, in my house. Um, so that's like the only like climate, um, like action that I would say. Yeah. Other than that, uh, I think it's definitely find your niche, right? Like I've seen um, crochet, like the people who are crocheting climate change blankets that show like the different colors and how um, the world is changing. Like that's climate education, that's spreading the message. Like that counts. Um, I've never been to a climate march in my life. I don't like standing. So, you know, like if that's, if you're a marcher, if you're a protester, if you want to like burn shit down, then like, I mean, I didn't tell you to do that, yeah. but do it, you know what I'm saying? Um, if you're like myself, if you're a teacher, if you have any classroom platform at all, um, like podcaster, just to talk about it, to bring it up, to weave it in, um, and uh, really, it's going to come back to trusting yourself and trusting what you've been called to do. Um, and uh, of course, uh, with the framework, you know, I, I like to say that I'm more interested in helping people ask better questions than to give them answers. Mm -hmm. And so to use that framework, if you are working on a climate aimed uh, issue or anything that you're working on, social justice, are you centering people of color? Are you centering climate? Are you trying to make it accessible and kind of operate outside of capitalism as much as possible, right? Mm -hmm. um, I also love the idea of uh, small community gardens. I don't know, getting to know your neighbors just in general and like, yeah. um, like, how cool would it be if one street just like all grew each other's food and shared and like nobody ever had to do the grocery store. Like there's things that we can do on smaller scales. Um, and then also some people working on like the big scales, like we're working from both ends from grassroots um, to inside. I would also say spend more time in nature um, pay more attention. One of the things that brings me like the most joy is just be, I have ADHD, so it's hard for me to be present, but being as present as I can in nature. And that's through paying attention to the moon, paying attention to the tides. I love crows, okay? Watching when the birds are coming, when they're going, when the trees are blooming, and just remembering that before we had time, capitalism, time, before we had that, the only thing we had to know that anything was changing was what we saw around us. And to kind of come back to that, right? Um, I, <laughs> I, I, feed, I feed crows in my neighborhood, um, peanuts, and I've had neighbors complain and it breaks my heart. One, because I feel like it's racism because you don't like them because they're loud and black. Yeah, yeah. 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 Two, um, also the spirituality of like dark light, that language. Yeah, yeah. You, I've been talking about that a lot. And of course you have, obviously, duh, y'all are so lit. Um, like the, it's, I'm just, it breaks my heart that people don't see that like they, we are living in their home, right? We're all yeah. living together. Like you can't keep birds out of your neighborhood. Like what do yeah. you mean? Yeah. You know they're uh, one of the smartest birds too. Yes. Oh. They can recognize faces, which is so cool to me. I will tell you that birds 
these crows recognize me better than my white neighbors. I change my hair pretty often and the crows doesn't matter. I could be hooded up in my car. The crows know me. They yeah. know me. They're so smart and so sweet and they're a little waddle when they walk and they're just like. Yeah. You can teach they- them to speak too. Yes. Yes. And we even have some ravens around here as well. And it's just like pure magic. But like, why is it weird for me to share the food that I have with the animals that live around me? Right. I I mean, it's Encinitas. So there's a lady who lives down the street and she keeps like a plate of cat food out to feed a possum that's been like living at her house. for like. Wow. We have some weirdos out here. Yeah. Uh, but just little stuff like that, um, being kinder with yourself, being uh, being kinder with yourself, being more patient with yourself so that you can also do that um, with others. But yeah, just tuning into that like unconditional love. How unconditional can you get it? And once you're in that gear, like anything that you do is going to be in the right direction. Absolutely. Mm. I love that. What a good message. <laughs> Chandler. Did you want to say something, Ambie? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, you didn't. I said it. I just said, what a good message. I love your energy, Chandler. Like, just being in your energy is so, like, calming and uplifting that this is why I TikTok stalk you. No big deal. It's fine. It's good. I'm obsessed, Ambrosia. I'm obsessed. We're neighbors. Oh, yeah. You guys, yeah. Ambrosia has talked about potentially one day returning to San Diego, so. Yes. Yeah, um. <laughs> it's expensive. It's expensive, but yes, you never yeah. know. Um, Chandler, this has been okay. so amazing. Truly, just and I think what Ambie just said, you're such a good example of how just like being you and following your calling and just embracing who you are and being kind to yourself and all of those things can have such a huge effect on so many things. So, uh, tell people how can they follow you? How can they get more of you? How can they connect with you? Do you have any other services you're offering or anything like that? Give it, give it to us. Yeah. Um, so right now, uh, it's best to follow me on TikTok. I have an Instagram, but the energy of Instagram isn't like super, super compatible with me. Uh, and so I have one. So if you need to contact me there, I, um, will get it. That's how I got you guys. Um, and then, uh, uh, my email is housepurity, P-U-R-I-T-T-Y, at gmail.com. And so um, if anyone is interested in talking more about this, uh, more platforms, I am retiring from teaching at the end of this uh, term. And my intent is to spread my classroom. So if you have a classroom, if you have an audience, and you want to have me by, just shoot an email over. Um, that's so cool. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's oh, and I'm in the process of working on uh, a book about all of these things uh, where I tell my story and kind of the story of climate change through the um, lens of the tarot. Um, wow. That's <laughs> awesome. Right. It's, yeah, we're working on it. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned as well. Keep following me. Eventually it'll come. Um, but yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, thank you. We will put um, Chandler's TikTok and email and such in the show notes of this episode for you guys. You can just follow her there. Um, make sure you go give her a follow in all the places because obviously she has so much beautiful information and is just such a... Um, 
a forward thinking person. And I think that's really, really, really valuable right now in this, this world. So Chandler, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you and uh, you're welcome here anytime. Literally. Good luck keeping me away. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, everyone. we'll have to have you back on because I want to like, I think it's so interesting when people are so scientific and yet so spiritual, spiritual. at the same time and they bring those together. So I'd love yeah. to hear more about that. Oh, can I tell you one thing really quick? Yeah. Um, I was talking with a student after class yesterday and he said the only difference between science and magic is whether or not we understand how it works. <gasps> Mic drops. So, that that is powerful. <laughs> so true. Gosh, and right? and also when you explain how magic works, it takes all the magic away. Exactly. Exactly. So there you go. Um, <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on blooming. Bye, guys. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love, love, love it if you would leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to get in touch for a reading with Ambie, an EFT session with Alexa, or just to say what up, you can email us at innerbloompodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at innerbloompodcast. Podcast.